So glad to have you here with us today. Uh, my name is Paul Mumaw. I'm the lead pastor here at Genesis Church, and uh, we're in a series called Hope. And I got $20 for anyone who can guess what we're talking about. Anyone? Anyone take the... Okay. Uh, well, we're talking about hope, and we all need hope. Uh, we, we, we all qualify for hope, sometimes more than others. Uh, maybe you're in a place in your life right now where you really don't think you need too much hope. Everything uh, seems to be smooth sailing, and, and you're just kind of skating and enjoying life. But we all need hope, especially uh, when times hurt or when we face some difficult times. As we talked about last week as we opened this series, uh, Jesus spoke some, some powerful, some true, some relevant words uh, for us in John chapter 16, verse 33. And if you follow the story of Jesus' life up to this point in Scripture, uh, he is moments away, he's a day away from going to the cross where he's going to give his life uh, for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, but he's leaving his disciples with some really important words. And, and John sixteen thirty three were important then and they are important for us today. Uh, they go like this. Jesus said, I have told you these things. And he said a number of great things. I'd encourage you to go back and look at some of those yourself. John 14 and 15 and 16. Jesus said, hey, I told you all of these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Well, there are two clear promises that Jesus gives for us right here in this verse. uh, And you can count on these. The first one is this. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It is you will have trouble. Uh, You and I are going to face trouble in this world. It's unfortunate. Uh, I I don't understand why it always has to happen, why life happens the way it does. But let's at least give Jesus credit for warning us in advance. He says, hey, following Jesus, following me does not prevent uh, the junk from entering into your lives. You're going to go through tough times. Uh, Being a Christian does not allow you to escape uh, the tough times. It's going to happen whether we like it or not. A friend shared a story uh, with me this past week, and, and many of you may know Jackie Brumley, and you may know a little bit about her story. And Jackie and her family have served here in many ways and been a part of Genesis for, for a while now, and she's been helping us with our, our efforts in Haiti, uh, which we're really excited for. But I, I had invited some and even mentioned it last week that if you've got a story that you'd be willing to share with me, uh, it just really helps me as a pastor as I prepare. You know, how is this subject relevant? What does it mean to have hope? What does it mean to go through tough times? And if you send me your story over email or Facebook, I promise you that I won't read it without your permission or maybe even read it at all. But it, it just helps uh, to know your story. And Jackie gave me permission to read a portion of her story with you. She says, she writes this, I, I was raised in an abusive home by non-Christian parents. I was verbally, physically, and mentally abused daily by my father. I never blamed my mother because she was just as trapped as I was. Uh, During those times, child abuse wasn't discussed like it is today. I was grounded if my father found or heard anything referencing Christianity at our home. It was a rough time of life. Suicide was thought of. Sometimes you feel that by ending it, that it's a way out of sorts. I, I suffered from an eating disorder through high school. We lived out in the country and had very few friends. The friends I did have were scared of my dad and stayed away. In high school, I was first introduced to Christ, but had to sneak to go out after school to be involved with any youth events. I was afraid of what would happen if my parents ever found out, so I quit going. It wasn't until I started dating Todd that I truly understood what it meant to be a Christian. Even then, we would go out on Friday or Saturday nights uh, to youth events, but I would tell my parents that we were going to the movies. They would rather I see an R-rated movie than go to church and be brainwashed. I moved out of my parents' house when I was 18 years old and accepted Christ. 
before we were married and mistakenly thought that life would be easier. I was wrong. And it's been a hard road to travel. When God said he never promised an easy life, he was right. My family made fun of my Christian beliefs and a few still do to this day. More than 26 years later, I find myself defending my faith to my family. Two years after becoming a Christian, we had Jonathan, our son with Down syndrome, uh, trying to understand the meaning or accepting the reason as to why we had Jonathan has been a struggle. But even after 22 years, I still wonder why. But I have to hope that God works through Jonathan to reach others. Four years after Jonathan was born, my mom, who was my best friend, died at the age of 54. Why would God take her from me and leave, my abuse, or leave me with an abusive father? Even on her deathbed, she denied God, but I pray every day that maybe at the last second she became a believer. I have to hope that God worked a miracle in her life during her last breath. We have struggled financially for most of our married life, oftentimes from mistakes and actions of our own, but also medical bills from Jonathan. We are ruined financially, but are taking it one day at a time to pay our debt off. It will take another three years before we can say we are debt-free. Every day I have hope that God will use this to teach us and to remind us to trust Him. During our seventh year of marriage, we felt like quitting. My mom had died. Jonathan was difficult. We couldn't make ends meet. All our friends had left us after Jonathan was born. We felt alone. But we placed our hope in God that He would be our friend. And even when no one else was here with us, we always knew God would be. We decided we would stay together because at the time our commitment to God was stronger than the commitment we made to each other. We had hope in God that he would bring us to the other side, and he has. I can truly say I am married to my best friend. Life isn't easy, and sometimes you feel like quitting and walking away, but I have hope that God will see me through. Whatever path I may be traveling, I hope that God will meet me at the end. Without hope, I am nothing. Without hope, I wouldn't be here. Although I had an earthly father who didn't love me, I found that I had a heavenly father who did love me. It is through this hope of the love of my heavenly father that sustains me. I will be victorious because I have hope. And uh, thanks for Jackie uh, for allowing me to read her story to you a little bit. And um, just the awesome work that God continues to do in her life and through her marriage and through some of the friends that she's established uh, here at Genesis Church. Now, Jesus said, you will have trouble. And again, I don't understand why things happen the way that they do in, in every individual's or, or each person's life. But he said, you will have trouble, you know, and there won't be answers to all of your questions this side of heaven. But he did say this, the second half of that verse, he said, but take heart. And I don't think he whispered it. And I don't think he just kind of threw it in there, but he spoke it emphatically. He spoke it with enthusiasm and confidence. Jesus said, take heart. You know, no matter what you face, you can take heart. You can look up. You can look ahead. Jesus is our hope and nothing, there is nothing that will ever change that. Now, last week we talked about how easy it is to take our focus off of Jesus. You know, you, you take your eyes off of Jesus and a complicated situation can get even more complicated. And when times get tough, it's easy to lose focus on Jesus. Hey, I, I'll say I've been there. All right. You know, and when the circumstances mount and life gets rolling, it, it's easy to take your, uh, your eyes off Jesus. And, and what I'm concerned about is the fact that there are some of you here today and you're going through tough situations, you're going through these circumstances, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
and how difficult and, and how unfortunate that may be to, to walk through life and to not know Christ as your Lord and Savior when He's there and He's waiting and He's made Himself available to every single one of us. You know, as Christians, you know, in my life, our hope, you know, the hope of this church is in Jesus Christ, period. And as the book of Hebrews says, and we talked about it last, this last week, Jesus is the anchor for our souls. That we can take every bit of ourselves and we can go to the cross and we can lay all of ourselves there and we can anchor ourselves in the hope of Jesus Christ. You know, and that means that, that you just take it yourself and, and your willingness to, to lay there and be there. This, this morning, I, I want to continue in our discussion of hope. And, and the message is quite simple, but I think so important and one that we so easily miss. And that's this, that when times get tough in your life, you need God's people to help you get through. Uh, when times get tough in your life, you need God's people uh, around you. You know, Jesus is our hope and we must keep our eyes squarely focused on Jesus Christ. You know, when, when times get tough, though, you need God's people around you. We weren't meant to live alone. You know, the Bible talks about there is an advantage that God works in, a, in an amazing way when people come together in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible teaches that, that we weren't meant to do life alone. Again, that there's this advantage to it. If you read Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 4, verses 9 to 12, it talks about pity the man who tries to do it all alone. You know, that one day he stumbles and there's no one there to pick him up. But there's something that happens when two or three come together. It's a a cord of strands that is not easily broken because God is right there in the midst of it all. You know, Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. He says, hey, when two or three come together in my name, there am I with them in the midst of them, ready to move, ready to work. You know, God created us for one another. And so the question for you as we start this morning is, do you have people in your life right now? Do you have God's people around you? Or are you trying to do life alone? Are you getting connected to others? Can you... Can you point to someone else or to a group of people and say, you know what, that, I can count on that person. I can count on those people. They will be there for me. I, I want to show you an example of this this morning, uh, another story from the Old Testament. This story involves a guy by the name of Moses. Uh, last week we looked into Elijah's life just a little bit. I want to look at a, a really short portion, uh, just a little story of Moses' life. Now Moses is the guy who led the people out of Egypt, the, the children of God, the, the children of Israel, out of Egypt through the promised land uh, to this place called Canaan, Israel today. And you might know some of the stories. And if you grew up in church and went to Sunday school, you know, some of your greatest memories or greatest stories might be from Moses' life, you know, from the children of Israel, whether it be the Red Sea or the manna or the water coming out of the rock, you know, the Ten Commandments. And maybe you don't know any of those things, but you saw the movie, you know, and so you remember, you know, Charlton Heston and you've seen it. And so you, you can relate a little bit. Well, there's a story that might be somewhat unfamiliar to you. You might know it. And it comes in Exodus chapter 17. And if you've got your Bibles, turn there right now to Exodus chapter 17. And as we get to this point, the Israelites, under the leadership of Moses, are coming close to the promised land. And at times, they would come up against some fierce competition, and there'd be a battle. There'd be this great throwdown, you know, right in the middle of the wilderness. And so there was this group of people that the Israelites came up against, and they were called the Amalekites. 
the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites were descendants of Esau. And if you remember, Israelites were descendants of Jacob. Well, Jacob and Esau were brothers, and that didn't go, too so, so, it didn't go so well. So there's some bad blood, all right, between this group of people. They were bitter enemies. And it's time for battle. And Moses, the leader, commands his field general, Joshua, at the time, in Exodus chapter 17, beginning in verse 9. And you can follow along with me. It says, Moses said to Joshua, he said to his general, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalek, or I'm sorry, when, as long as that the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Now, you have to wonder if Moses knew and understood what was going to happen when he went to the top of this hill because he carried this staff with him. And you can picture that in your mind, this, this long walking stick of sorts, but it was more than that for Moses. It had been with him since the beginning with God all the way back to Egypt. And this, this staff was a reminder of God's presence. It was a reminder of God's potential power working through Moses and whatever they may face. And so Moses has the staff. And as the scriptures tell us in verse 11, as long as he held up his hands, held the staff up in his hands over his head, the Israelites were winning. But when he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. So Moses couldn't let his arms down. All right, he had to keep his arms up in the air. He had to keep this staff over his head on top of this hill as this battle is taking place. I mean, the power of God for this particular moment was directly related to Moses' ability to hold the staff above his head. Now, I just kind of wonder if he realized or understood how sensitive or how much power he had in him at this moment. You know, I mean, if he had an itch or something, you know, and had to let down his arm or let's suppose he had to go to the bathroom and lay it down for just a moment or whatever. Or maybe he just kind of did one of these, you know, just just to kind of see, you know, how much, you know, authority he had in this moment. Probably not, but he might have had some fun with it. But think about it. You know, Moses had a problem. You know, Israel had a, a problem. Moses had to keep his hands in the air. Now, have you ever tried to keep your arms up in the air? We could try that right now. I could just say, hey, why don't you lift your arms up above your head and we'll just see how long you can keep them up, you know, and just see who wins, you know, towards the end of the service. Uh, it's hard. I mean, it really is. It, 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 it takes some strength and, and the muscles start to hurt. And I bet you could do it for a few minutes, but, but try and do it for 10 or 20 or 30 you know, and, and the scriptures tell us that apparently this battle wasn't won quickly. And as you read through the story, his arms got tired and began to drop. I mean, and people's lives were at stake. This mission was at stake. I mean, tough times for the good guys right here for the people of Israel. And it all rests on Moses' shoulders. Tough times are inevitable. You're, you're going to face them. And, and our Jesus, our, our Savior... He, he promised just that. He said, hey, you're going you're gonna to face trouble. And, and maybe your life has been relatively free from pain up to this point. But, but it's going to come. And we all know that everything can change so quickly. Life can change, you know, in a matter of minutes at the doctor's office. Life can change with one phone call. It can change with one staff meeting. Everything like that, all of a sudden, it, it can change without any notice. And, and, and tough times are kind of like the Amalekites here. I mean, you know they're coming. It's just a matter of when and how and where. 
In tough times, they come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. Uh, we're going to kind of just pretend like tough times are kind of like these weights. And you're wondering, why in the world is there a weight bench on the stage this morning? And some of you are like, oh, yeah, we've got one of those in our basement. We store boxes, you know, on top of it. Well, uh, let's just kind of pretend for a moment that these weights are sort of like the Amalekites that we face in our lives. And so we'll, we'll give them names. We'll give this first one. Uh, the name financial Amalekites. And we all know that uh, finances can become very stressful. Uh, They can weight us down. They can become very challenging. And with the economy the way it is right now, uh, it doesn't take much to get a little anxious. It doesn't take much for this weight, for the financial weight uh, in your life to become a burden, a burden that you carry with you every single day. And maybe it has to do with a job loss. Uh, maybe it has to do with the transition right now, and there's not as much pay there as, they used to, as there used to be, or, or insurance is tough. Uh, maybe it's the fear of bankruptcy. Uh, maybe it's the fear of a foreclosure. Uh, the financial weight is a tough weight. It's a heavy weight to carry. And, and I know a number of people carry this weight around right now. Let, let's suppose that this 45 over here is, uh, is death. Uh, we'll, just call, we'll just call it death. And And maybe for you, there's been some death uh, in your family. And it could have been a tragic accident, a friend, family member that you lost suddenly in an accident of sorts. Uh, Maybe it was a sudden heart attack. Uh, Maybe it was the unexpected death of a friend that had an illness that they weren't aware of. Uh, Maybe it was the expected death of a a relative that you knew, well, it's old age and it's going to happen. But it doesn't matter. I mean, regardless, you know, death hurts. You know, death is heavy, you know, and when it enters your circle of influence, there's a tremendous loss or a tremendous sense of pain and loss that comes with it. And whether you like it or not, you're, you're forced to carry it. Let's, uh, let's add to this. Let's just say, hey, this 35-pound weight, and I didn't wear sandals today on purpose, just in case. I thought the shoes would help me out just a little if I dropped it on my foot, but we're not going to do that. Uh, this 35-pound weight, let's just say it's relationships. Uh, We've all got relationships in our life. They can be a great blessing, but they can be a little challenging too. And we all know conflict. Uh, We all know uh, some of the pains that come through an argument or not seeing eye to eye on on certain things. Uh, We know rejection. We know betrayal. Uh, Maybe for you, it's just a a really difficult time in your marriage. Or maybe the marriage is no longer and it's divorce. And and this is a tough weight to carry. You carry this with you you know, every, every day. Maybe it's loneliness. You know, it's waiting for Mr. Wright or waiting for Mrs. Wright to come along. Or maybe you're lonely in your marriage. And maybe this wait for you is a relationship with a child. You know, they're making some destructive decisions right now. And so you carry this weight. You carry this burden, this pain with you. Uh, Maybe it's it's health-related. You know, and, and as we mentioned before, all it takes is to show up to one doctor's appointment. You get some routine tests done and the doctor opens with these words. We need to do some more tests. Uh, there's nothing for sure, but we've, we've seen some things that we don't really like and we need to look into it a little further. And so nothing's truth yet. Um, there's no absolute clarity on what it is, but there's the anxiety that you carry with you. Maybe a friend with cancer and it's another round of chemo that's coming up, your spouse. And so, you know, this is a tough weight to carry. And, and they don't all have to be just big monsters either. But when you've got some big monsters that you're carrying around, you know, even the little things of life, that really aren't so difficult to carry that you know you can do on your own become, you know, tremendous burdens. And so you've got new job expectations. Or, you know, let's just suppose that, um, 
Oh, I had an example and I can't remember what it was. But uh, so you got job expectations. You got, you know, you're you're a single mom or a single dad, and, and you're trying to carry all this. You're trying to do all of this on your own. Well, that's where Moses is. And the weight of the responsibility that Moses was expected to carry in this particular situation was too much to bear. It was too much for one person. His arms could only endure so much. And that's where Aaron and Hur come in. Exodus chapter 17, beginning in verse 12. It says, When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. So Aaron was Moses' right-hand guy, and her was a close relative. And you just have to say, that's a tough name for a boy. You know, I mean, you know, not only as a man, but especially as a young kid, to have your name be her. Yeah, what's his name? It's her. No, him I'm talking about. No, it's, it is her. So anyway, I don't know if Moses knew he would need their help, and so he took them to the top of the hill, or if they just had this habit of always being close by. But, but when needed, when, when Moses realized that he couldn't hold this staff, when he couldn't carry this weight himself, Aaron and her were both there ready to help. And so let's just assume for a moment that this is your life. And these weights can mean whatever they need to mean in your life. Are you trying to do it all alone by yourself right now? Now, I know that the testosterone is really moving in the room right now, and some of you guys have already nudged your wife and said, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that about 50 times probably. Or uh, I used to warm up with that weight in high school, you know. And, And I know some of you are there right now, but we all have limitations. Okay, we can... You know, some of you, some of us might be able to go so far, I'd be lucky to be able to do this once, um, as you can tell by my arms. Um, But are are you trying to do this alone? You know, we weren't meant to do it alone. We weren't meant to go through life by ourselves trying to figure it out as we go without any support or encouragement around us. You know, there's um, there's an element to weightlifting that's very important, and it's the role of the spotter. And, you know, in a little bit of weightlifting that I've done, I've discovered that there's a value to having someone there while you're lifting. It makes good sense. It makes common sense to have somebody there so you don't kill yourself. But someone there to encourage you, someone there to support you, someone there to help you if it becomes a little bit too much to bear. You got a spotter in your life? You got somebody that you can call if needed? You got somebody that you can ask to pray for you? Somebody there to cheer you on when you know you've got a tough week coming up. You know, one of the greatest things that can happen in your life is that when times get tough, to have God's people around you. You know, people that can point you to Jesus. They can remind you of where our hope really is. You have those kind of people around you. Uh, two questions that I want to end with this morning. And again, if you're taking notes, you can write these down. But two questions that I think apply to every single one of us whether you're new or you've been here a long time. The first one is this. Are you making an effort right now in your life to be known and to know others? And we could say specifically here at Genesis, but we'll keep it kind of general. And I'm not talking about just going out and joining a Zumba class at the Y. All right, not that there's anything wrong with Zumba. Well, at least for me, but maybe not for you there's anything wrong with Zumba. That's fine and all. But, but are you getting around 
God's people? Are you getting around other Christians, other brothers and sisters in Christ that can walk with you and support you and challenge you, you know, in some of the tough times, you know? And, and it's not just for the tough times either. You know, maybe things are going okay or maybe you just see a trend in your life, but some other people that can be there to help you navigate through some of the challenges. And, and it takes the tough times to show us how connected we really are. But unfortunately, the tough times will also reveal how unconnected you are. A recent study was done by the Gallup organization and they concluded this, that Americans by far are the most lonely people living in the world today. That Americans are the loneliest people in the world today. That's shocking. There was a study done called the Alameda County Study. A group of researchers tracked the lives of 7,000 people living in Alameda County, California over a nine-year period. And what they found is pretty interesting. Two quick observations from their study. They they discovered, one, that people with weak relational connections were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. The second observation was this, that people who had bad health habits, like smoking and eating the wrong kinds of food, but had strong relational ties, lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but lived isolated lives. What's it basically come down to? Get a big group of people today and go eat all you want, you know, and you'll be fine, you know. And so live it up, uh, nothing to worry about. Another study from the Journal of the American Medical Association uh, found that 276 people volunteered uh, to be exposed to the common cold virus. And it's pretty amazing what people will do to make a little extra cash here. Uh, I'm guessing it's mostly college students. But here's what they discovered. People with strong relational connections were four times better at fighting off illness than those who didn't. And secondly, people with strong relational connections were significantly less susceptible to catching cold, had fewer viruses in their system, and produced less mucus. And I just wanted to make sure I said the word mucus in church today. Because I know, I can almost guarantee you, there's no other church around that the pastor used the word mucus today. So only at Genesis. But what's the point? There's something to relationships. And it's not just based on study, but it's based on Scripture. The Bible is very clear that there's something about people coming together in the name of Jesus Christ and doing life with one another. It's kind of the way that God intended for it to be. You know, there's a great reason, you know, to to call a church your home and not simply attend, but say, hey, I want to be known. I I want to know others. There's a great picture of this in, in the book of Acts. And if you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard this Scripture referred to a number of times, but in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, uh, we get a picture uh, of the church in a very young, uh, in its almost purest form of sorts. And I, I think it's just an example that we're all to strive for, a great example for Genesis. Exodus chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And, and I want you to notice the different noun usage here that you don't just see singular, but plural. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who are being saved. Do you have godly people in your life right now? I mean, other brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, 
And, and even if you're not a Christian yet, just some people that you kind of latch on to and say, hey, I want to belong to this. You know, I may not get it yet, but, but I want to be a part of this. There's something happening here that I want to be a part of. And, you know, people that you can call upon to, to watch your kid, you know, on a moment's notice or, or somebody to pray for you if needed, somebody that you can call in the middle of the night if there's a crisis or a need in your life. You have people around you right now that can hold your arms up when they get tired. People that can help you carry the weight. People that can help you lift the weight when life becomes too much. You know, this picture of Acts 2, 42 to 47, I mean, it's, it's a goal, really. And we can say, wow, that's neat, that's cute and all, and just kind of continue on with church and what we want to do or become here at Genesis. But I'd love to see us just get passionate and, and clearly focused on saying, you know what, that's what we want to be known for. I mean, that's, that's the vision. That's a glimpse of what God has given us, what he wants, you know, for every church, but what he wants specifically for Genesis Church. I mean, that's why one of our, our, the three things that we strive for, the three C's, the one is connect. I mean, we believe that there's something to getting connected. You know, calling Genesis your church means that you're not satisfied doing life all alone. It means that you want this for yourself and others. And we talk about connection groups and there's a point. We want you to get connected. You know, we want you to get into a group and to be with other people. You know, and, and groups for us are made up as few as eight people and sometimes as many as 20 people. And you get together several times a month. And it's not just supposed to be one more thing on your schedule. It's to be a place where you make a commitment and say, I don't want to simply be a spectator, but I want to be a participant in this. And, and sometimes it involves watching a Colts game. And my hope is that it typically involves a nacho dip of some sorts, at least in my house, you know, and, and it's Bible study and it's sharing life together and it's laughing together and getting to know one another. It's holding each other's arms up. You know, and maybe you've been involved with some groups that have let you down, you know, that haven't been that for you. Well, don't chalk it up as well it'll never happen for us again but you know are you willing to be known and to know others are are you in a group right now we've got a number of groups and we would love to help you get acquainted with one of our groups here at genesis and get to know some people that are probably a lot like you that that are just seeking to know christ and to know him well if you go back to the info hub after the service we got a team of people that can help you find a group try out a group you know take a chance at, at knowing and being known sign up to serve I think one of the greatest ways to get to know people, in addition to getting involved in a connection group, is just start serving somewhere. You know, serve alongside of people. You know, one of our teams. But, but don't do life alone here. And remember, it won't happen automatically for you. I mean, you, you, have, you have to take the step yourself and say, hey, I, I want to be known. One more question. And then we're going to celebrate communion together to wrap up our service this morning. But this question... Will you allow God to use you at Genesis? Uh, And I I tried to be really specific in the words that I chose there. Basically, are you willing to come along and spot someone else? And say, hey, I I, want to be more than a spectator here. I actually want to be a participant in what happens here. I mean, this Acts 2 picture is the desire I have that we have for this church. And it won't just happen. It takes you. I mean, you've got to want this with your life. You've got to say, hey, I want to be a part of that picture. And I know that there are a number of you sitting here right now that are saying, well, I don't really need it. I mean, i got a bunch of buddies from work, and we hang out, or, you know, our, our neighbors or our family's real close and tight and all. Or I'm not going through a tough time right now. You know, so I don't really need that. I don't need to reach out. I don't need those connections. Well, a couple of things with that. First of all, the connections that you develop even in the good times of your life can be so valuable to you if life changes. 
and to know that you've taken the time to invest in those relationships. And so prepare yourself by reaching out to others now. But the second thing is, is that you might not need anything, or at least you think, but could it be that God wants to use you? I mean, could it be that God has brought you and your family here for a reason and God wants to use you? He wants to use your gifts and your strengths and your heart and your experience and your story for someone else. That God wants to use you to come alongside of someone else who might be going through a difficult time. And it might be somebody in your connection group and it might be somebody that you get to know while you're serving and it could be somebody that you get to know on, on a Sunday morning here or somebody that you've known for years here. But whether you've been here for four weeks or four years, racing in and out of here every week will do you no good. And the I'm too busy line is just, it's disappointing. I mean, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you and I could go to church every Sunday. But he died on the cross to invite us into an eternal mission, one where he has overcome the world, and he's invited us into it and saying, hey, I want you to be the church. Don't just simply do church. Don't just simply go to church. But I'm inviting you to be the church. You know, Acts 2 could be a reality, even right now, for Genesis. You know, of helping people find their way back to God. So what are you doing about it right now? I mean, when was the last time you said to God, God, you can use me. I'm, I'm available. I'm ready to be used by you. God, you can have me. God, God may be calling you to reach out to someone else. Maybe it's somebody you haven't seen in a while that you just know, hey, I need to pick up the phone. I need to make a phone call. Just haven't, I just, ha- I've noticed I haven't seen you in a while. I hope things are going okay. You know? Who, who is it that you can reach out to? You know, may, maybe that means, you know, calling a friend. Maybe it means joining a connection group for you right now. Maybe it means you've been a participant in a connection group for a long time. And, and maybe God is getting you ready to lead. And, and we're going to need that leadership now and in the future. I mean, when was the last time you said, God, you can use me? My prayer is that Genesis, you know, church would not be the church that's known that meets in the warehouse, you know, on Pleasant Street. But it's a place where people say, wow. The people at that church, it's different. They've loved me. They've supported me. They're gracious. They're forgiving. they're, They're broken just as I am. And they don't try and hide that. You know, Acts 2, that that's what we want. That's our that's the vision. That's the snapshot picture of what we have for the future. But it takes every single one of us. So, who's God calling you to come alongside of right now? Maybe God will put a name and a face on your heart, in your mind. But the last question, and it's, well, it was our first. Are you trying to do this alone? What, what, if, if this is your life, if this bar represents your life, what is it that you're trying to carry right now? And is it time maybe that you humble yourself this morning and say, you know what, I can't do it alone. I can't do it alone any longer.